Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's never been easier to communicate with people, but it's never been harder to know which platform you're supposed to communicate on. Here's a simpler solution. With call, meet, and message all in one app, Ring Central makes communication easy. With all that connectivity in the palm of your hand, you can work from anywhere with anyone at any time and never miss a beat. Because when it comes to communication, simple is better. Learn more at ringcentral.com. Ring Central, simpler communications. This is the MD's Fantasy Football Show with Dan Mader. Giving you the X's and O's of all things fantasy. Welcome in, MD Nation. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the MD's Fantasy Football Show. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater. And how does everybody feel now that we finally have results in from week one? We spent an entire summer hypothetically going over if this happens, if that were to happen, projecting this, seeing that. We actually have a week of results to talk about in today's show and the waiver wire report. Now, I want to make something clear before we dive into all of our content today. It's going to be a jam-packed show. But this is not the normal schedule that you're going to have. We weren't able to come out yesterday like we normally would on Sunday night and just recap in detail the Sunday afternoon games. Normally speaking, that's what would happen. We would come on Sunday night while the Sunday night game is still going on, stream it live, it be available for you guys on your favorite pod streaming apps after the fact iHeart, Stitcher, Google Play, iTunes, Spreaker, wherever you like to go. And we'd have that full recap for you and then come back on Monday night, not go live, but record the Sunday night recap, the Monday night recap, and the waiver wire report for that to go live for you guys on Tuesday morning at 8 a.m. That's what this show is. We're recording this Monday night to go live on Tuesday morning at 8 a.m. 
So we're not going to be able to do the Monday night recap because we got a, a ton to get to. I have all these games I at least want to mention and get to the waiver wire report. And it's only an hour show. Tuesday is only an hour show. Normally we do an hour and a half, only an hour on Tuesday. Just like on Saturday, this is only an hour. So we got a lot of information I got to jam pack in here for you guys for an hour long show. But I wanted to make sure you made clear future reference. We will be five times a week. We'll normally be live on Sunday nights. Just so MD Nation is aware. But like I said, today we're going over the full recap with the exception of the Monday night game and the waiver wire report for you guys at the end of the show. I just want to go through and mention some key tidbits about week one and what a jam-packed week it was. I mean, really, what a jam-packed week it was. Just like any week, there's going to be guys who play to expectation. There's going to be guys who disappoint. There's going to be unexpected injuries. All of that came to fruition, of course, in this week. Like it's going to every single week, but we got to dive in and how do we move forward? That's the question. What not to overreact to, what maybe to pay attention to, and maybe change your viewpoint on some guys moving forward. That's all, that's all part of it. So for, let's dive into that Sunday night game. Let's kick things off with that. The Rams take care of business 34 14. They are the superior team. Nothing surprising about that game there. Matthew Stafford looked great in his first outing at home. 20 of 26, uh, 20 of 26 321 yards, three passing touchdowns. Looked very at home in that Sean McVay offense. No issues with bootlegs. Uh, they kept talking about that during the uh, the, the, the announcements. Uh, Chris Collinsworth in particular. I wasn't sure how he was going to be. If he, uh, like Matthew Stafford was never a statue. Like he was always a little bit of an athlete. Now he's not a big time scrambler by any stretch of the means, but if you've ever watched any of Matthew Stafford, you could tell he could definitely run bootlegs and run this offense to perfection. And he almost did. I mean, he was almost perfect. Like I said, 20 to 26, 321 yards, three passing touchdowns. Pretty much got everybody involved. Could hit Cooper Cup on a big one, 56 yards. He had 10 targets, seven receptions, 108 yards, and a touchdown. Was absolutely phenomenal in his debut with Matthew Stafford, showing some rapport there. Robert Woods didn't have the big day, but still got into the end zone. Three catches, 27 yards. The touchdown saved your fantasy day. Only four targets. I don't think that's going to be much different than what we saw with Jared Goff. There's going to be some Cooper Cup games, some Robert Woods games. There might be some game scripts where they can both do really, really well. But the point is, it was those two guys at wide receiver. Van Jefferson, yeah, he had the big 67-yard touchdown, but three targets. Deshaun Jackson only had two targets. Tyler Higbee. Six targets, five catches, 68 yards. Now, he's probably not going to crack that top five of tight ends like I wanted him to and ranked him to, but very encouraged by the snap count, very encouraged by the targets that he got there, that he was right amongst Cooper Cup and Robert Woods as the top three targeted players of this entire team. Big thing to take away, Darrell Henderson, 16 carries, 70 yards, had one reception for 17 yards, but now, and part of this could be because Sony Michelle is still new to the team here, but Darrell Henderson acted like the dominant ball carrier, not just from touches 17 to one, but when they played, Sony Michelle played two snaps later, three snaps, excuse me, later on in the game, Darrell Henderson played 49. So pretty much 99% of the snaps went to Darrell Henderson. That's got to give you some confidence. And he looked good. Remember this Bears team, when they have Akeem Hicks, they're a pretty decent defensive front. He looks good in this matchup. So you got to feel confident about that if you drafted Darrell Henderson for him to continue to be a RB2. Ultimately, the Rams, not a lot changes other than the guys played the way you'd hope they would. Some better days might be ahead for Robert Woods. 
But the guys you wanted to be involved were the main guys involved. And the big question about the Raw Henderson, you look like a workhorse. You look pretty good to me. Look pretty efficient against what should be a at least a decent Bears front by the end of the year. On the flip side, Andy Dalton predictably looked horrible. 27-38, 206 yards, interception, did not play well at all. They had a Justin Fields package where he ran it in for a touchdown. It may be sooner rather than later we see Justin Fields. And we're going to talk about him in the waiver wire later. Another guy of note, David Montgomery, 16 carries, 108 yards, and a touchdown in a tough matchup. But he looked good running the ball. And this is a guy, he was not going to go down on first contact. That much was for sure. He looked very good running the football, breaking tackles, dragging guys with him, falling forward, 6.8 yards a carry, only one target for one catch and 10 yards. That's what I was worried about. Damien Williams, five targets, four catches, 28 yards. So while David Montgomery still had a very good fantasy day because he had a great game on the ground, and that can be encouraging because the Rams dominated this game. So the fact that they didn't abandon the running game, and he still wound up at 17 touches in a game script like this has to give you some confidence moving forward. And you got to think this offense will get a little bit better once Justin Fields takes over. But Damian Williams did exactly what I was fearful of for David Montgomery to potentially have a low floor or at least have his ceiling capped. He wasn't involved in the passing game. That was Damian Williams the whole way. He is the pass catcher. He did take on the Tariq Cohen role. That's something I was concerned about. So for me, David Montgomery has to still be an RB2, and you have to limit your ceiling expectations on him, but you love the way he ran. You love the way he ran. By the way, Montgomery, 41 snaps. Damian Williams, 30 snaps. That is not an anomaly. That is something I think will continue. Williams is going to be there on passing downs. Just, just enough to annoy all of us when it comes to David Montgomery's upside. Outside of that, Allen Robinson, better days ahead, of course. The 11 targets is what you hold your hat on. Six catches, 35 yards. He was matched against Jalen Ramsey for most of this game. The only other note for the Bears, maybe keep an eye on Cole Komet. He doesn't make my waiver wire report just because there's still nothing exciting about this team outside of Allen Robinson and David Montgomery until Justin Fields takes over. But Cole Komet did vastly outsnapped Jimmy Graham. It wasn't even close. 51 snaps to 40 to 14. He dominated the targets. He dominated the pass routes. So Cole Komet might be somebody who down the road you keep an eye on as a sleeper tight end that you may be picking up to kind of stream. He, he did enter that conversation for me based on this performance. Seven targets, five catches, 42 yards. Again, not very exciting until Justin Fields takes over, but like to see that Jimmy Graham no longer going to just steal all the red zone looks from a Cole Komet. Cole Komet is very much the tight end to have on this organization. So he might be a streamer at some point this year. Just kind of keep an eye out for that. Let's move on. Let's talk about this Packers Saints game, which was, I mean, I did not. I thought the Saints might come out and play really, really hard, given all the circumstances, given their home game is going to be in Jacksonville. And, you know, everybody was counting on them to lose. The backs up against the wall. Sean Payne is a great coach. They thrive in that situation. I thought they'd come out and play hard. I didn't think they'd come out and dominate from start to finish and win this game 38-3. to Now, part of it is the Saints look very good. James Winston looked very good. The other aspect of this, though, is that the Packers looked incredibly rusty. I mean, incredibly rusty, disgustingly rusty. Not something I was anticipating for this team to come out and look like. Aaron Rodgers played training camp. They got the contract done. It wasn't like they missed training camp altogether. They didn't play any preseason games, but they didn't last year either. Devontae Adams had been there for all training camp. These guys weren't banged up. So 
people are talking about, well, they didn't play any in preseason games, so maybe they're just a little bit rusty, maybe they're a little bit off. I mean, look, they're going to get it together. And yes, they were just a little bit off, and I, I don't expect the Packers to look like this all season long. But I don't give them an excuse because they're one of the few teams that weren't dealing with injuries, weren't dealing with holdouts as far as their offensive core goes. I don't care they didn't play any preseason. They didn't play any preseason games last year, and they were absolutely sharp. I don't know what that was. At one point, Aaron Rodgers was YOLOing it. His second interception was a complete frustration throw where he just threw it up. He just threw it up for grabs. He was done. He was done with the game. Plain and simple. So you probably lost if you had a Packer on your team, but obviously better days are ahead for Rodgers. Better days are ahead for Devontae Adams. Better days are definitely ahead for Aaron Jones, which just was a little bit of a tough, a tough matchup coming in for running backs for Aaron Jones to begin with. So I'm not overly concerned with that. As far as the wide receivers go, Alan Lazard had 39 snaps. Scantling had 36. So those are your number two and three receivers, in case you were wondering. But I'm not really too interested about that. Robert Tanyan dominated the snaps for him, 28. The next closest was 19. Uh, so he's still going to be a you know, a top 12 streaming tight end from, from time to time. Aaron Jones, 28 snaps. A.J. Dillon, 16. A lot of that coming in garbage time for A.J. Dillon. So nothing for me changes on the Packers other than there's better days ahead. Don't panic on any one of these guys. Not that I think anybody would when it comes to Adams, Jones, and Rodgers, primarily what you're talking about there. On the same side of the ball, Jameis Winston played great. Five touchdowns off of 20 attempts, only 148 passing yards. Just all he did was throw touchdowns. That's it. That's all he did. Hit hit Juwan Johnson twice. Hit Deontay Harris on a big one for a 55-yarder. Hit Chris Hogan. Chris Hogan had one catch for 10 yards in the end zone. And then of course the other receiving touchdown with the Alvin Kamara, who we'll talk about in a second. Marquez Callaway only had two targets for one catch in 14 yards before you jump ship on Marquez Callaway being a, a sleeper guy that you were going to be able to throw in there who has some upside ability. Remember he was a matchup against Jerry Alexander. Now i initially, I wasn't too worried about that because I thought they would feature Callaway by moving him in the slot, giving him the Michael Thomas role, essentially where he didn't always just line up on the perimeter. Sean Payne didn't do that in this game. He actually left Marquez Callaway out there in the X spot, out there in the out on the perimeter where Alexander could play him the majority of this game. That had more to do with it than anything because when you look at the snap count, Marquez Callaway dominated all wide receivers as far as playing time. He had 52 snaps. The next closest was Deontay Harris at 27. So Callaway's the number one until Michael Thomas comes back. Callaway's playing. Better days are ahead for Marquez Callaway. Remember, James Winston only threw the ball 20 times in this game. So even though he had the five touchdowns and the big fantasy performance, it was still only 20 pass attempts. Just keep that in mind before you jump ship on Marquez Callaway being a sleeper guy. The other thing, Juwan Johnson, backup tight end, he had two touchdowns. So he has the big fantasy day. But again, don't get, you know, don't, don't, don't put the blinders on. Adam Troutman, another sleeper tight end of ours, he played 51 snaps. So he's he had a lot of playing time, 51 snaps, and led the team in targets. Now it was only six but still led the team in targets. Three catches, 18 yards. He just didn't happen to have the two touchdowns. So again, better days are ahead for Adam Troutman. Juwan Johnson is not a pickup. That is a that is a pothole. It looks all good. It looks all shiny. It looks like it's okay. And then boom, you just wrecked the whole bottom of your car. And I know that was not the greatest metaphor, but that's what came off the top of my head. It's late on a Monday night. What do you want? Adam Troutman is the guy moving forward. He's still, he's still worth a pickup if he's available on your waiver wire. He's still a streaming tight end in my mind. Most targeted, by far had the most snaps. So he's going to be involved moving forward. That, that I'm not worried about. Alvin Kamara was great. 
20 carries, 83 yards. This was a nice match against Green Bay. Typically speaking, you have good matchups against Green Bay Packers here. Gets the, gets the reception touchdown. Four targets, three receptions, eight yards and a touch. I know that's not the passing numbers we're used to, but again, only 20 pass attempts. They didn't have to check the ball down all that much. I'm not concerned that all of a sudden Alvin Kamara is not going to be the PPR monster that we all expect him to be. He will. Don't worry about that aspect of it at all. All right, let's keep this thing moving. Let's go to the Miami Dolphins, New England Patriots. 17-16, more of a defensive game. Kind of expected it to be. We didn't expect a big uh, over in this game at all. To attack Lavoa, despite the mediocre-looking stat line of 16-27, 202 yards, a touchdown interception, I thought he looked pretty good. He was willing to throw the ball deep, and he was willing to hit Devontae Parker, who had seven targets. He was willing to hit Jalen Waddle, who had six targets and a touchdown in this game. We'll see next week when you get Will Fuller back. It's clear that this offense is going to be built around to it, throwing the ball to the wide receivers. That's what this offense is going to be built upon. That's what we expected it to be built upon. But there's a 17-16 game script, and you still only had 23 carries as a team, Nine carries, Miles Gaskin was a leading carry guy, and he's efficient with that. 5.4 yards carry, 49 yards. He was, but still, in a game where it's 17-16, where you think ball control, no running back had double-digit carries. None. Now, Gaskin is still a high-end RB3 because he comes back, he has five targets, five receptions, 27 yards. We're talking about half-point PPR leagues, which is what we generally do our analysis off of. He's still a... RB3, still a flex play, still a safe floor because he's going to get those receptions. I mean, the only other guy, Savant Ahmed, had three targets, two receptions, 24 yards. Malcolm Brown was not targeted at all. So that's the good news when it comes to Malcolm Brown in that scenario. Miles Gaskin is still by far the best running back in this team, on this team. And this is against a tough New England Patriot defense, who are always tough against the runners when Hightower is playing. I think you get encouraged by Devontae Parker actually being targeted. And you like what you saw at Jalen Waddle. However, we still have to reassess next week when Will Fuller comes back and how these targets are going to break down. Because I still have the suspicion that Will Fuller might wind up being the number one target at the end of the day. On the Patriots side, Mac Jones had a really nice, I thought, debut. He has a tough defense coming in. Didn't make too many mistakes. 39 pass attempts, 29 completions, 281 yards, a touchdown. Thought he played pretty solidly for a guy who doesn't have a ton of weapons going his way. As we're having some trouble with the mic here. Nelson Aguilar was actually the big receiver of the day. Five catches, 72 yards. Hey, I had the touchdown, seven targets. But Jacoby Myers was the most targeted receiver with nine targets in this ballgame. Just didn't have the touchdown to kind of go ahead with it. But look, as far as these wide receivers go, Nelson Aguilar, I'm keeping him on the waiver wire. I'll keep my eye on him as this thing propels. I think Myers, Aguilar, they will be the two top receivers. Myers probably still has a little bit safer of a floor. I do expect him to be the most targeted guy at the end of the day. But still, there's not a ton of talent, not a ton of upside. Really nothing more than wide receiver fours in my book. As we go through the season, we'll keep our eye to see if their value changes at all. The other aspect of it, James White did what I expected James White to do. Seven targets, six receptions, 49 yards. He is the pass-catching guy. Harris had three targets, two catches, 17 yards. So that's not nothing when you compare what these Patriots usually do. But when it comes to these passing downs, he's just his ceiling is going to be capped as far as that goes. And he had a bad fumble that gave away this game. Does that carry on into next week with Bill Belichick? Knowing how Belichick is, does that carry on? There's already been some talk 
from some of the beat reporters in New England that we might actually see J.J. Taylor suddenly become available next week where he was a healthy scratch this week where he suddenly might get thrown into the rotation and maybe you wind up seeing him and maybe Stevenson's the one inactive because he had a bad fumble in this game too and didn't really play much after that either. I, I ha- It's hard for me to believe that they would just turn away from Damian Harris that quickly, that easily. But we, this is Bill Belichick we're talking about. And when guys fumble, he's liable to do anything when it comes to the running backs. And we already were kind of worried about J.J. Taylor getting work at some point unexpectedly for no reason too. So just something to kind of keep your eye on. Damian Harris will still be a high-end RB3, low-end RB2 for me, somewhere in that range heading into next week. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. When you want an easy way to feel like a chef in your own home, try Blue Apron's two and four serving menu plans so you're always cooking something new and enjoying fresh seasonal ingredients. Choose from an ever-changing mix of premium recipes, chef favorites, family-friendly options, WW recommended, and more. Get $130 off across your first six orders, plus your first order ships free when you visit blueapron.com slash blueculinary. But it is going to be interesting if J.J. Taylor winds up being active. I might be a little worried that Harris is still in the doghouse for at least one more week. We'll see exactly what happens there. Janu Smith, five catches, 42 yards, five targets. Hunter Henry, three catches, 31 yards, three targets. Better days are ahead. The one thing I will take a note of, though, with Mac Jones, the wide receivers were more targeted, and the wide receivers can be more targeted on the outside as he can actually throw it to the outside and throw it deep. So this may actually wind up taking away some value, but I do think better days are ahead for the tight ends. They're still very much involved in the game plan. Uh, Smith had 55 snaps, Hunter Henry's 54. So very even between the two of them as well. There's still guys are going to be hovering around my top 12 territory when it comes to tight ends. Remember, this is a tough matchup for tight ends against the Miami Dolphins too. I do have to hit the uh, drop alert though. We have our first dump player of the year. Prepare to be flushed. Mike Isicki, drop him, drop him. Not only was the guy out-snapped by his teammates, uh, and I'm pulling it up here as we speak, it was out-snapped by Smith, but he was out-targeted, or had just as many targets. Zero receptions. Will Fuller's not even back yet, and Mike Isicki was not involved at all. Even if Mike Isicki goes on to have a few good games, you're never going to know when those games come. You're never going to know when to play him. Not at all. It's clear this team is built for Tua to the wide receivers. So Mike Isicki, if you have him, go ahead and drop him because it's over for him. Let's keep this thing rolling. Let's talk about the Cleveland Browns, Kansas City Chiefs. Did not disappoint. Was going in as the game of the week for Sunday. It played like it was the game of the week. It was a great game. Kansas City Chiefs come back from behind to win this thing. Tyreek Hill, Tyreek Hill, three yards away from a 200-yard day. 
11 receptions, 197 yards, and a touchdown on 15 targets. Travis Kelsey, two touchdowns, six receptions on 76 yards on seven targets. Everybody else, three targets. Clyde Rosalaire, Mikael Harmon, three targets. That was the next most targeted players. This is looking a lot like last year. This is looking a lot like it's the Tyree Kill, Travis Kelsey show, and then everybody else, which is going to lead me to do this once again. Prepare to be flushed. That's for Mecole Hardman, by the way. There's no reason to have a Mecole Hardman on your team anymore. None. His snap count was actually less than the Marcus Robinson, something I talked about that had been a pattern in the past where Marcus Robinson would normally play ahead of him, even though maybe Miko Harmon winds up with an extra target than he does. The point is this. This is the Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill show. Kind of like the Mike Kosicki thing. You're never going to know when to play these guys. So unless they get hot at some point in the season, no longer a reason to hold on to a Miko Harmon, Demarcus Robinson, or anybody. And Byron Pringle came up with a runt of the litter. He's only in the teens in snaps compared to the other two guys who actually played a significant amount as well. So move on from that. Uh, Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Look, th- I'm worried this could be a common stat line for Clyde Edwards-Alaire. 14 carries, 43 yards, not particularly efficient. This is a tough defense against the Browns. They'll have better, more efficient days as far as that goes. But three targets, three catches, 29 yards. There was not a big emphasis to get Clyde Edwards-Alaire more involved in the passing game. Patrick Mahomes, guess what? Still has a big arm, still doesn't check the ball down. Oh, here's another thing. You're worried about him getting, you know, pigeonholed and not getting the goal line carries possibly Darrell Williams or somebody else <laughs> the heck with that they won't even line up in goal line formation inside the five they're in pure shotgun 24 7 all the time Mahomes is the man I just don't think Clyde Edwards-Alaire is in position to see more than five or six touchdowns this entire year and he doesn't have what you wish you would have coming out of college that safe floor of catching the football because they just they're not going to be designed around getting into the running back there's not. He'll have better days ahead. There's no, there's no doubt about that. They're going to have games where they're not going to necessarily have to come back from behind. They'll be up. He'll get a few more looks. He'll be a little bit more efficient against easier defenses. I'm not saying that. He's still a RB2, a low-end RB2, perhaps, instead of a mid-level RB2, though, because now you're seeing the ceiling is still capped on him. And it's week one. But I don't see a big ceiling for Clyde Edwards-Alaire. For some people out there who thought maybe that he could rebound and become the RB1 they were hoping he would be a season ago, I don't see that happening here. On the Brown side of the ball, OBJ wound up being a late inactive kind of unexpectedly. But they did what the Browns do best. Nick Chubb, 15 carries, 83 yards. He had two touchdowns. Kareem Hunt still got in the end zone six ca- for six carries for 33 yards and was the leading pass catching back. Three targets, three catches, 28 yards. Nick Chubb's two Receptions for 18 and two targets. Nothing about their roles changed. Now, Kareem Hunt didn't get a lot of touches in this game. He wound up getting a touchdown, which saved his fantasy value. Played him as a flex as an RB2, which most people did. He's still going to finish there. But the snap count was 31 to 28. It's still almost even as far as their playing time on the actual field. So for me, nothing really changes for this team. Moving forward, Baker Mayfield had a really great day. 28, 21 of 28, 321 yards. Uh, I shouldn't say a great day. Fantasy-wise, he's fine. NFL-wise, he was efficient with the one pick. Jarvis Landry, five targets. Schwartz, five targets. Najoku, five targets. Like I said, OBJ didn't play in this game. Jarvis Landry getting five targets in a game in which they wound up having to trail to Kansas City with no OBJ out there. 
look, he's got a safe floor if OBJ is not out there, but he's still nothing more than a wide receiver three at best. Even when there's no OBJ, when there is an OBJ, I don't, I don't see how he's anything more than a wide receiver four, wide receiver five. There's just not enough volume to go around. This team is built around the running game, and you also have a three man rotation at tight end. So, I, I mean, Austin Hooper wasn't guys that I had ranked in the area to be drafted anyway. But in case you did, prepare to be flushed. Do yourself a favor and drop and drop Austin Hooper. There's not going to be a Cleveland tight end that you can stream this entire season because they have a three-man rotation. And again, this team is just built through the running game. When OBJ comes back because of his big play capability, if he's healthy enough to do so, he's the only other wide receiver I'm interested in. As far as snap count goes, Donovan Peoples-Jones played the second most snaps behind Jarvis Landry. Apparently, Rashard Higgins is all the way down the depth chart. Because he played four snaps. Anthony Schwartz played well ahead of Rashard Higgins. So I'm not sure what happened there because they paid Rashard Higgins a little bit of money too. But apparently, he's nowhere to be found on this depth chart either. So it's not like he's a sleeper play at some point with OBJ being out too. Uh, I'm not worried about Anthony Schwartz as far as him being a, a, a waiver claim or anything like that. Again, there's just too much value in the running game. And we'll see exactly what happens when OBJ comes back. Moving on. Let's go to the Denver Broncos and New York Giants. This game about went about as I expected it to. I expected the Broncos to control and dominate this game, and they did. Daniel Jones is still a crappy quarterback. There's no, there's no doubt about it. He's still terrible in the red zone, too, by the way. Uh, he's still a fumble master. He lost a fumble in this game. From a fantasy perspective, he still keeps himself a little bit interesting because he does run. Six carries, 27 yards. He found himself in the end zone. So maybe at some point in some matchups, especially playing in the NFC East, he may be a streamer possibility. I don't know when you're ever going to feel good about playing Daniel Jones, but I saw no market improvement whatsoever, even with the added weapon of Kenny Galladay, who had six targets and four catches and 64 yards. The number one receiver, who has been the number one receiver for Daniel Jones since he's been in the league, was Sterling Shepard. Seven receptions, 113 yards, a touchdown, nine targets. I'm not expecting Sterling Shepard to put up those kind of numbers every single week, but the slot receiver, the short intermediate route runner, is the go-to guy of Daniel Jones. Plain and simple. That hasn't changed. So I don't know if there's any wide receiver the Giants. I was already low on Kenny Galladay as it was, but I don't know if there's any receiver I can really trust because I don't trust Sterling Shepard to do that every week. I especially don't trust him to stay healthy. If this continues to happen, where he continues to be the most targeted guy, he might be picking him up off the streamer as a, you know, a flex play here and there in PPR leagues, perhaps. But I just don't expect big things out of this Giants offense in general. Then we get into the Saquon issue. He played more as the game went on. Snap-wise, him and Booker were actually pretty close, though, in snaps. They got a Thursday night game. I think that's going to be detrimental to Saquon. Not only is it another tough matchup because it's against Washington, but now on top of it, how much more are you going to play him on a Thursday night? Are you going to be a little bit leery because it's such a back-to-back? You're still trying to ease him in. You have Saquon. You have to play Saquon, unfortunately, because of where you drafted in the first round. But I would have my expectations lowered with him and we'll probably talk about him as a buy low candidate after that Washington game because then the schedule starts to get a little bit easier we'll expect him his workload to start ramping up when they have the 10 days off heading into week three I do expect that to happen but he's going to probably be a buy low candidate you might have to ride him out just one more week there for Saquon Barkley before he's full go and being the workhorse guy and it's going to be long because it's clear they're going to have to figure out something offensively especially since I'm expecting him to have another bad offensive performance they're going to have to get some pressure off of Daniel Jones. They're going to have to get him getting the ball out of his hands faster. 
Their best player on offense is Saquon. If he can't go at a Saquon pace, they have no shot on offense to be good. That's that's just clear to me. Should be clear to everybody after watching that game. So I think there's a decent chance Saquon will be Saquon by week three as far as his workload is concerned. Physically, he looked okay to me. He made cuts. He looked like, you know, he, he still has kind of a sea legs. I don't think he's quite fully in Saquon Barkley explosive mode, but I don't think it's going to take long. It didn't look like he was hesitating on the knee. That's the most important thing you walk away from that game, in my mind. On the Broncos side of the ball, Melvin Gordon has the big stat line because he had the big 70-yard run, gets over 100 yards, but 11 carries, Javante Williams, 14. 34 snaps of Javante Williams is 36. So I would actually say, workload speaking, it's leaning a little bit more Javante's way. It just happened to be Melvin Gordon who went off for the big carry. It's still going to be a, basically a 50-50 split committee. That doesn't really change. Uh, and that's going to continue to be the case until somebody gets injured or Javante Williams just outright outplays Melvin Gordon. Now, it didn't happen this week. Could happen towards the end of the year. But nothing really changes for me as far as what I consider out of this backfield. Maybe Melvin Gordon gives you the confidence that, okay, it's going to be a 50-50 split. I can play him as a flex play. But he's still nothing more than an RB3 at the end of the day because he's going to be in a 50-50 split with Javante Williams. And they need pro game scripts like this for both of them to get you know double-digit carries in this game. From a receiving standpoint, Melvin Gordon was the better receiver. You know, Three targets, three catches, 17 yards. Javante Williams had one reception on one target, minus four. But he's still a pass catcher, too. And I don't expect that to be the, the case every week. Unfortunately, Jerry Judy, he's going to be out next four to six weeks. At first, it was six to eight. Now I'm hearing four to six as far as that high ankle sprain goes. He'll be back at some point this season. I guess that's the good news because it looked like an injury where he might not be. In the meantime, Cortland Sutton, who only had three targets in this game, still led the way in snaps. And now it's going to be a more of a focus on getting Cortland Sutton more featured, I believe. He's going to be probably rotated out throughout more. He's going to probably be in motion more. He's going to probably be inside, outside a little bit more. There's going to be an emphasis on featuring Cortland Sutton. So I think this actually will help his value. Physically, Sutton looked good to me. And that, that's a big thing there, too. Teddy Bridgewater spreading the ball around. And frankly, Teddy Bridgewater didn't have to throw the ball that much 36 times that's a, a decent number but not a great number i think what you're happiest about if you're a broncos is that Noah fan had eight targets he led the way in targets in this game six catches 62 yards something people were worried about Noah Fant needs the volume to be fantasy relevant to be that top eight tight end that people drafted him to be well in a game like this where everybody was healthy for most of the game until judy went down Noah Fant was very much involved even with the broncos playing you know, 12-man personnel with Albert O actually getting a touchdown in this game. You feel good about Noah Fant being able to return on your investment there, which honestly, with all these mouths to feed and Teddy Bridgewater being the quarterback, I do think there was a big risk as far as what his floor could be and probably still will be on a week-to-week basis. But you like the fact that they came out in week one in a pro game script. Noah Fant was the leading targeted guy. Not expected to be Cortland Sutton more times than not, but moving forward, I'm good with Cortland Sutton. I'm good with Noah Fant. We're going to talk about Tim Patrick when we get to the waiver wire in just a bit. What we're going to do now, uh, actually, let's keep going here. Let's keep going to the Seattle Seahawks, Indianapolis Colts. Seahawks, Russell Wilson is doing Russell Wilson things. I mean, 23 attempts, four touchdowns, the touchdown rate, absolutely insane for him. Just doing Russell Wilson things as he always does. With DK Metcalf... 
you know, he had a little bit of a slow start. Still wants with five targets, which when you have only 23 pass attempts, still a good ratio. Tyler Lockett, also five targets. Winds up able to getting that four receptions for 60 yards and a touchdown, though. That's the good news. That's the good news. Because it was looking pretty bad there for a minute. Tyler Lockett comes in. He's got the big day. Four catches, 100 yards, two touchdowns. Hopefully this will confirm what I was telling everybody all offseason long and why I was drafting Tyler Lockett in the fifth round in every single one of my drafts out there. Hopefully this confirms in everybody's mind. Tyler Lockett is not going away. He's not disappearing. He's not chopped liver. He's not somebody you can't trust. He's not somebody you can't play. A guy who had 100 receptions and everybody was acting like he was poison in their fantasy leagues unfathomably to me, this is a 1A, 1B situation. This is not DK Metcalf, and then Tyler Lockett might get sprinkled in for a few games here and there. I told everybody last year, after last year, yes, he's always been a bit of a boomer bust player, but the inconsistency that he was a season ago was not just on him. It was the entire Seattle offense. They are running a new scheme now, and while he may not have 100 yards and two touchdowns next week, it's not going to be such a Jekyll and Hyde situation. Or I don't think he's going to go off this week like he did against Arizona last year and then go seven games before he does anything again. The different offense with Shane Waldron. It looked like a good offense, too. And even though it was only 23 pass attempts for Russell Wilson, he got to cook quite a bit, and it looked like the scheme fit really, really well. Another thing, Chris Carson, 16 carries, 91 yards. He looked great. Was absolutely happy to see him be there and be involved in the pass game. Three catches, 26 yards on three targets. Rashad Penny. Hurt again. Shocker to no one. There's nobody back there. Unless Chris Carson gets hurt, there's nobody. There's no other Seattle running back who's going to be that involved. Flip it on the Colts side. Carson Wentz, a very uneven performance. Now, he definitely was not 100% healthy. It was, it was obvious. The way he was moving around was pretty ginger on that foot. Kind of hobbled. Got caught in the pocket a few times. Here's what was interesting about this to me. Jonathan Taylor had seven targets. We talked about all offseason. I was not big on Jonathan Taylor being a first-round running back because I questioned how much involvement he would be in the passing game. What was what would Naeem Hines do to limit his ceiling for him being a full workhorse? Can't say that. He had 20, he had 23 touches in this game total, seven targets. He was actually just very inefficient as a runner, 17 carries, 56 yards, and he just didn't get in the end zone. However, before you Jonathan Taylor lovers who drafted in the first round start berating me, Naeem Hines had eight targets. Naeem Hines led the way on the team in targets. Six catches, 48 yards. And he was in on all those passing down roles that I talked about that I was worried for Jonathan Taylor. The difference was that they actually threw the ball to Taylor on first and second down quite often. Really, the biggest difference is Carson Wentz inexplicably threw 15 targets to the running backs in general. Not something I was expecting. Not something I was expecting at all. So that's going to be interesting to watch to see if that continues. As Carson Wentz, as long as his foot is hurt, looking to get the ball out of his hands quickly in a glorified Philip Rivers, it kind of felt that way. As a result, though, Michael Pittman, very disappointing. Four targets, three catches, 29 yards. Paris Campbell, three targets, one catch, 24 yards. Zach Pass was the guy who comes away with the two touchdowns, but still only four catches for 43 yards on five targets. It was You weren't blown away by any of the wide receivers. And Michael Pittman, who I was big on coming into this game, is disappointing, and I think you kind of have to bench him until you see it now. Because this is Seattle secondary that you should still be able to take advantage of. Now, Seattle's defense played really well. I think part of it is the Colts are not firing on all cylinders yet, and you know Carson Wentz, who missed a lot of training camp, and is not 100% healthy, rightfully so. But this Seattle defense has to be given some credit, because 
they're not going to be the pathetic leaky sieve that they were a season ago. They're just not. As long as Jamal Adams is out there, they might be pretty good against the run, and they look like they're playing a solid game plan of keeping guys in front of them. They're just not trying to do too much. They're not they're just trying to play fundamental football. So this might not be the Seattle defense that we can just take advantage of, although I think against better teams, more explosive teams, I think they will have some problems in the secondary uh, because it's still a secondary to talent-wise you should be able to take advantage of. 49ers and Lions. We got to take a second on this game. There's a lot to unpack. Shanahan is a jerk, first and foremost. So are all the 49er beat writers. They're all jerks. As far as, far as the fantasy owner perspective is concerned, I hate them all. I hate them all, guys. I'm, I'm with you. I get it. I hate them all. Very disappointing. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Here at the Container Store, we believe you shouldn't be limited to just one happy place. Your home should be full of them. That's why we're giving you 30% off every custom alpha space. From closets and pantries to playrooms, offices, and garages, you can transform any area with alpha and save 30%. Here's another happy thought. Our design specialists will design your space for free. Get ready to discover your new happy place at the Container Store. Visit us in-store or online to get started with a free design. Trey Sermon is an inactive. That's a red flag because of the way Kyle Shanahan talked about him after the game. Said, well, Sermon didn't beat anybody out. He was he's the fourth best running back. He's the fourth running back on our depth chart. Now we all have eyes, and this is where I say Kyle Shanahan's a jerk. We all have eyes. We all saw preseason. Sermon worked as the number two running back. He worked with the starters when Raheem Mostert was not out there during preseason. And the dress rehearsal they had in week three, he played right after Moster did. Every beat writer talked about training camp, how he was being getting one getting, uh, reps with the ones, and that possibly him and Moster are going to be in some sort of committee. We have eyeballs. Don't tell me that Trey Sermon suddenly, right before week one, went from being the number two all offseason to now he's number four in a depth chart. I don't buy it. I think what happened was they were going against Detroit. They decided they wanted to get some extra depth at other positions, only wanted to carry three running backs. Jamichael Hasty and Elijah Moore, they play special teams. Trey Sermon does not. And they probably didn't figure that Raheem Mostert would get hurt in the first game in the first half. I mean, my goodness with him. I mean, there's there's injury prone, and there's being made a paper. I, I, it's ridiculous with Raheem Mostert. He's out for at least the next eight weeks now. He'll be back at some point this year, I guess, but he's out for the next eight weeks and with this 49ers backfield, who knows what that means? Who knows what that means? Don't dump Trey Sermon. It's the 49ers backfield. I want you guys to keep this in mind. And we'll talk about this a little bit more when we talk about Elijah Mitchell in a few minutes. It's just as likely, now that Mostert is out, that Sermon is not only activated, which I, I think that's a given. I expect him to be. He's activated. But would it shock anybody if he wound up being the lead ball carrier Next week against the Philadelphia Eagles. Would it shock anyone? No, it wouldn't surprise me. It wouldn't surprise me if he out 
if he beat out Elijah Mitchell in carries next week, even after this whole fiasco this week of all this confusion and saying he's the fourth running back. And it wouldn't surprise because that's how he treats his running backs. How many times do we go through with Jeremy McKinnon, Jeff? Was it Jeremy McKinnon or Jeff Wilson week? How many times did that flip flop back and forth? How low was Jeff Wilson on the depth chart before he suddenly got a start <laughs> last year? He was a fourth running back at one point in the depth chart, and all of a sudden he was starting. This is the point with Kyle Shanahan. This is why I don't go crazy with Elijah Mitchell. He's definitely a top pickup this week, but don't go crazy. There's a lot of moving parts when it comes to Kyle Shanahan and this team. It's really annoying, but there is. There's a lot of moving parts, and don't drop Trey Sermon. Don't. It seemed like this week, week one, was about Shanahan trying to make statements. Because it wasn't just that. Then he had the Brandon Ayuk situation, who goose eggs everybody. Plays 26 snaps, doesn't receive a single target. And before everybody goes, oh, Trent Sherfield. Look, he had two catches for 23 yards and a touchdown. He played one more snap than Brandon Ayuk. My initial reaction was I thought maybe, you know, because they're playing Detroit, Brandon Ayuk still working through that hamstring issue. Maybe they were just, you know, we'll play it safe, play it cautious. We won't have him full go. Then you find out, even though he's a full participant in practice on Thursday and Friday, he was actually practicing with the, with the, with the, the practice squad. With the scout team. He wasn't practicing with the ones. Then they come out and say, well, like, he's still learning to be a pro. Missed some time. It sounds like to me Kyle Shanahan looked at Brandon Ayuk. What, something else is going on behind closed doors. He looked at Brandon Ayuk. He looked at Trey Sermon. He decided to try to send them a message. I want you guys to keep in mind before, because there's, there's analysts out there, and now you have these beat writers out there, some of them at least anyway, who are making this case that Brandon Ayuk may not be a starting receiver at all this year, barring injury. That he may be in a rotation with Trent Sherfield for the rest of the season. No. No. Guys, think about this. Use your brains. That's not going to be the situation. Brandon Ayuk is coming off of a great rookie year. Now, maybe he tailed off. Maybe he's he tried to play it safe. Maybe he didn't go 100% with the hamstring injury. Maybe he was, you know, he should have been back before that and wasn't. Maybe they didn't like the effort he was giving. I don't know. But they traded up in the first round to get this guy. He has a very impressive rookie year. It's this organization, this coaching regime, this front office that wanted Brandon Ayuk in the first round. There is a personal investment from this regime to have Brandon Ayuk be successful. So whether it's a mixture of coming back from the hamstring and trying to send him a message because they didn't like maybe some of the effort that he was putting out, trying to play it safe, making business decisions, whatever the case may be. Remind yourselves, Brandon Ayuk, there's a personal investment to have him succeed on this team. So before you start subscribing to this idea that he's never going to be a starting receiver, he's going to be on a rotational basis all throughout the year, all throughout the season, keep that in mind. Don't go selling off Brandon Ayuk for pennies on the dollar. We don't do that here at MD Nation, first and foremost, because you never want to be the sucker. And that means you're going to be the sucker. Only if it's a last resort do we sell off players for pennies on the dollar. Don't do it with Brandon Ayuk. Telling you right now, this is not a done deal situation. Debo Samuel was great. And as far as the 49ers are concerned, I think the only there's only two players you can play with confidence next week. George Kittle and Debo Samuel. Outside of that, I don't know if you can play anybody with confidence. Even if we get confirmation about it being Elijah Mitchell. 
We're going to be watching that practice report really closely all week long. Garoppolo played great. Problem with him for fantasy is that apparently Trey Lance is going to steal red zone opportunities. So how do you play a quarterback who's literally getting vultured? Jared Goff. I mean, nothing can't be said about the Detroit Lions the way they came back. I know they say there's no moral victories in the NFL. This has to be considered a moral victory for the Detroit Lions. It just has to be. He had 338 yards, three touchdowns. He had a great fantasy day. And you know what? He might be a streamer. He might be a streamer throughout the year because this game script, the Lions found themselves in against the 49ers. This is an anomaly. This is going to be a game show that's pretty consistent for them throughout the season because that defense is awful. Getting worse, by the way, after the injury to Jeff Okuda. Their team's got to come back a lot. Talk about bad reporting. I also want to smack the reporter who at the last second before the game kicked off decided to say, hey, Jamal Williams is going to be the starter and get the bulk of the carries, get the bulk of the load. That's what they said. They're going to start the game fine, but they also added in he's going to get the bulk of the work. It made people like me think something happened to DeAndre Swift. Something last second happened because suddenly they're freaking out on NFL Network about it. Well, guess what? Swift wound up having two more carries than Jamal Williams, although Williams actually was the more efficient guy on the day and still had a decent game if you did star him at the last second. And he had two more targets. Both had eight receptions. Swift had 65 yards and a touchdown receiving. Jamal Williams, eight receptions, 56 yards. We knew that both these guys would be significantly involved. I said it from the get-go. Swift is an RB2. Jamal Williams is an RB3 with flex appeal. Because they're going to be in game scripts like this all year long. Both are pass-catching backs. Both will be involved to that extent. And that this whole offense is going to flow through the running backs and TJ Hawkinson, who, by the way, was tremendous. Eight catches, 97 yards, a touchdown, 10 targets in what was a tough matchup. There's not a wide receiver to own in Detroit. Uh, they were featuring Tyrell Williams as the number one guy. He, there's just there's not enough to go around. They're not a big enough part of the offense. That's not where the game script's going to go. It's going to go to the running back. It's going to go to the tight end. Maybe a St. Brown or a Tyro Williams. You know, And Williams, in his own defense, he got hurt in this game. He probably was still a few more targets. He had a concussion. He's in the concussion protocol now. As far as snaps goes up until that point, he was dominating that way. But I don't know if there's a wide receiver in Detroit worth owning, at least not right now anyway. Through the Steelers and the Bills, Josh Allen is one of my best candidates, did not have the fantasy performance you guys are hoping for, but has a nice floor because Josh Allen does Josh Allen things, 44 yards rushing. Of course, one of the main stories has to be Zach Moss, a healthy scratch. We're still not really sure what that is about. Something else we're going to have to watch very, very closely throughout the practice week. Make sure you're following us on social media at Show so we can you know keep you guys up to date. As a result, Devin Singletary led the way with 11 carries and 72 yards. He looked actually he actually looked really good. This is, a, this is a tough Steelers defense. He looked good. He looked efficient. He looked explosive. They talked about in training camp how he had been looking better. It was awesome. It was awesome to see him do well. However, 11 carries, 72 yards when he has the backfield all to himself. Five targets, three receptions, eight, eight yards. So 14 touches. This Buffalo team's not in, 51 pass attempts in a game that was 23 to 16. This Buffalo team's not interested in running the football. So even with there being just one guy to go to, you're still at best a low-end flex play. At best. Zach Moss... For him, as a result of this, prepare to be flushed. I know some people drafted him thinking he'd have some upside of being the starting running back on a high-scoring team. 
even if he comes back, he's in a 50-50 committee with Devin Singletary, and this team has not put any extra emphasis on the running game than they did a year ago. I'll tell you what else didn't. Uh, Stephon Diggs, better days are ahead, 14 targets, 9 catches, 69 yards, tough matchup. I think the big key here is that Cole Beasley was targeted as much as he was, 13 targets, 8 catches, 60 yards. Snap-wise, it was pretty even between Diggs, Beasley, and Sanders. It's pretty clear Gabriel Davis, although he had the big touchdown in this one, is the fourth wide receiver of the group. On the Steelers' side, it also looks like their offense hasn't changed. The only thing that changed about their offense is that you know there's only one running back, Najee Harris. 16 carries, 45 yards. He had one reception for four yards on three targets. Inefficient day. This is some of the things I was worried about Najee Harris, about him having maybe a cap ceiling because his offensive line's bad. His offensive line's really, really bad. And they have a lot of wide receivers to go to. Here's another thing about Najee Harris. Don't sell low on him. I've gotten so many questions about, should I trade Najee Harris for a bunch of crap? Don't sell low on him, MD Nation. Better days are ahead. The volume will be on his side. He'll be fine. This is going to be a decent Steelers scoring offense by the end of the day. You know, I'm a little bit worried because Ben Roethlisberger didn't look good. 50% completion percentage. A lot of checkdowns. Not great there. That, that I'm with you, wasn't, wasn't great. Wasn't very exciting. Less than six yards per completion. Again, this offense looked very much the same. Deontay Johnson was leading target guy 10. Juju Smith-Schuster, a guy that I talked about, was the second most targeted receiver. Claypool, five targets, three catches, 45 yards. Better days are ahead for all three of these guys, I believe. But how that split came out to be, that's what I expected. I expect that to continue. We go to Philadelphia Eagles, Atlanta Falcons. I'm trying to pick up the pace here. The Eagles, Atlanta Falcons, Jalen Hurts was great, first and foremost. 264 yards, three touchdowns, tacked on 62 yards rushing. It's easy to be great when you're playing an Atlanta defense that's not existent. There's no pass rush. There's no corners to be worried about. So I expect the Philadelphia Eagles offense to look good in this one with a running quarterback. Miles Sanders was efficient. Devonta Smith. That, that's the only takeaway I really have in this game. Devonta Smith was featured as the number one receiver. They moved him around in the formation. That's what I wanted to see. He's on his way to having a good rookie campaign. He is number one wide receiver. He came through for me because I ranked him at wide receiver 20. I'm going to have confidence in playing Devonta Smith pretty much all throughout the year as a guy who's a high-end wide receiver three with some upside from that because of the volume that he'll probably continue to see. Because think about it. They won this game 32-6. He's still at eight targets in this game. Jalen Hurts still threw the ball 35 times. That's pretty good for what was a dominating game script. Dallas Goddard has the touchdown. Zach Ertz was still right there with him in snaps. But Goddard did get more of the targets in this one. Jalen Rager wound up having that touchdown. I'm not worried about it. It's Miles Sanders, Dallas Goddard, Devonta Smith, Jalen Hurts. Outside of that, I'm not really thinking about anybody else. Of note, Kenneth Gainwell, definitely number two running back. There's no question about that. He is the handcuff to Miles Sanders if anything were to happen. On the Falcons side of the ball, Matt Ryan continues to suck without Julio Jones. I think the interesting thing here is that Cordell Patterson had seven carries in this game. Now, Patterson himself will not be a pickup because Wayne Gallman's there involved, and he can do a lot of the same things that a Cordell Patterson can do. However, even with all that said, in a game that was 32-6, to six, Mike Davis still walked away with 18 touches. So if you drafted Mike Williams, the idea he would get the volume, you can't really be mad to get 18 touches in this game. He still ultimately got the volume and still out-targeted Cordell Patterson. 
six to two. So better days are ahead for Mike Davis. I believe. I think you'll still get your. I still, I still think there'll be a point in time where you'll be able to sell high on this guy. I really do. I think there'll be a point in time you will be able to sell high on this guy, uh, but not the start you were looking for. However, this is a, still a tough Eagles defense. But Fletcher Cox plays are still one of the tougher run defenses in the NFL. But it was interesting that Cordell Patterson was worked in as much as he was. And it'll be interesting to see what happens when Wayne Gallman comes back into the mix. Better days ahead for Calvin Ridley. Five catches, 51 yards, eight targets. He had, a, he had the matchup against Darius Slay for most of this game's top corner. Kyle Pitts, eight targets, four catches, 31 yards. That is the passing game. Hayden Hurst played a lot in this game, but that is the passing game. Calvin Ridley, Kyle Pitts. Better days are ahead. However, I will say that this is the Eagles secondary that shouldn't be able to take advantage of. Matt Ryan still has to prove that he can be a quarterback without Julio Jones. That might be the one thing that holds them back from having the ceiling that they should have this season. Chargers in Washington. Look, Herbert was fine fantasy-wise. The volume got him there, 337 yards, a touchdown. Didn't really use his legs. That's the only thing about Herbert. that's kind of holding him back from what should be his fantasy value. But Keenan Allen was great. Nine receptions, 100 yards, 13 targets. Big one, you walk away, you feel confident about Mike Williams. He looks comfortable in this role in this new offense. Eight catches, 82 yards, touchdown, 12 targets. You have to start to feel good about Mike Williams being a flex play, being a you know, a wide, wide receiver three, high wide receiver four with upside, maybe even more than that if this kind of volume to his 12 double-digit target volume continues. Remember, this is a 2016 game. It's not like this game ever got out of control, and they won this game, and they still had 12 targets Mike Williams, 13 targets to Keenan Allen, and 47 pass attempts. The only difference I would say moving forward is that Austin Eckler did not receive a single target in this game. So I do wonder, you know, how much does that want affecting Mike Williams when Austin Eckler gets back involved in the passing game like he will be, no doubt, at some point. But you got to feel good about that. Uh, on the Washington side of the ball, we got our question answered as far as Antonio Gibson goes. He was the more targeted running back. He had five targets. Jaden McKissick had one. So you like where that went. But McKissick still played 20 snaps. He still played a significant amount. We saw it in the field a lot. So I do wonder if this is kind of one of those games where it just happened to be that way. I don't think McK- so as a result, I don't think McKissick is a complete non-factor, but we like the fact that they did try to get Antonio Gibson the ball as much as they possibly could. The only thing just he kept him out of the end zone, but he still gets over hundred total yards. Ron Patrick is gone. Uh, Taylor Heineke is now the star starting quarterback. It doesn't change anything for me as far as Terry McLaurin, Logan Thomas, or Antonio Gibson goes. Go to Jacksonville and Houston. Mark Ingram, it's hard to ignore the fact that he got 26 carries. It, it, it really is. It's it's really unfortunate, but it's it's hard to ignore the fact that he got 26 carries. Uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars, Urban Meyer's in trouble. You can't look this bad against a void of talented team. And I know everybody in Houston's like, we're better than you guys thought. We're not tanking, blah, 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 blah. This is a terrible Houston team, but plain and simple. So for the Jacksonville Jaguars that should have young up-and-coming talent to look this bad, Urban Meyer, you got a lot of things you got to answer. Before we get carried away with Carlos Hyde and James Robinson, James Robinson had more than double the snaps Carlos Hyde did as far as playing time goes. I know in the stat sheet it's going to look like Carlos Hyde was the main ball carrier because he had the nine to James Robinson's five, and Robinson looks like the passing down back because he's you know he's got six targets and Carlos Hyde only had two. I get that way it looks in the box score, but if you actually look at that and watch that game and see the you know the significant difference in snap counts, James Robinson compared to Harlow's Hyde, 
I think this game is just one of those things. Now, Hyde is definitely a pickup, but I think it's a matter of time before Robinson's getting the workhorse load. Now, he might not be the workhorse load he did a season ago where he's like 90% on Chris McCaffrey level. Carlos Hyde will be more involved in that. But I'm not looking at this as a situation where suddenly Robinson's not going to be getting majority of the carries and the majority of the receptions moving forward. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It was very disappointing because it was against Houston. It should have been a match he was able to take advantage of, no doubt about that. But this entire Jacksonville Jaguar offense has a lot of questions that need to be answered. The one thing that was nice, DJ Chark, who I was big on, bigger than most in ECR, had 12 targets in this game. Three catches, 86 yards, and a touch. But Marvin Jones also had nine. LaVisca Chanel had nine. This game script is something that I think will be consistent for Jacksonville, having to come back from behind, throwing it, having a high volume to pass the game. Trevor Lawrence hitting 50 pass attempts like he did in this game. I think that's something that will consistently happen throughout the year. And therefore, Lawrence, even though he didn't have the greatest games with the three interceptions, will still be fantasy relevant. And all the volume will keep LaVisca, Marvin Jones, and DJ Chark fantasy relevant. When they have plus matchups, you'll be able to play them. On Houston's side of the ball, Tyrod did great. 291 yards, two touchdowns. Everything that happened in Houston in this game, don't expect it to happen much longer. Don't expect it to happen much longer. Uh, this is not something that's going to happen very often where Houston gets to actually get up early and lead the way for the entirety of the game. Mark Ingram finished with 26 carries. That's the note. He is the lead dog as far as the carries go. I do think they still have to be in pro game scripts. Still not going to be too many situations where I want to play him, but definitely cannot ignore 26 carries for a running back. Brandon Cooks, he came through. Five receptions, 132 yards on seven targets. Tyrod Taylor played like a professional as long as he could play like a professional brandon cooks will get the majority of the targets and will continue to be a wide receiver you can play who frankly has got a safe floor moving on we got two more games to cover new york jets carolina panthers chris mccaffrey was great dj moore eight targets six receptions 80 yards he was good robbie anderson I'm bailing on Robbie Anderson. I am. If you can, if you can sell Robbie Anderson because he fantasy wise, he's going to go down as having a decent day because he had the 57 yards and the touchdown. If you can sell him, do it. DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson switch roles. DJ Moore is going back to being the slot intermediate guy, or I shouldn't say slot because Terrence Marshall actually played a lot of slot, but the intermediate short route guy. That's what Sam Darnold's going to look for. I told everybody there was no chemistry, there is no rapport with Robbie Anderson and Sam Darnold. There was none in New York. He got very few targets. He would have to bust a big play like this in order to even be fantasy relevant. Nothing's changed. Not, not, just nothing. Nothing's changed. So if you can sell Robbie Anderson because he made that big play to somebody who still believes, do it immediately. Do it immediately. Zach Wilson didn't run, which if he's going to be fantasy relevant this year, he's going to have to use his legs and run. You use him to escape. You didn't actually use him to pick up any yards. Oh, by the way, Jets running backs, stay away from him. Stash Michael Carter, 
I think it's clear there will be an opportunity for him at somewhere down the road because of just the mediocreness of Ty Johnson, Tevin Coleman. But for now, Ty Johnson, snap count-wise, by far the lead running back in the New York Jets. Not touching anybody until Michael Carter starts to take over. Corey Davis had a great game, five catches, 97 yards, and two touchdowns. That was with Elijah Moore out there, who was terrible in his rookie debut, but better days are ahead for him. I think the big thing, though, is when Jameson Crowder comes back, because you look at Braxton Berrios, he had seven targets in this game. That's going to be the Jameson Crowder role. So Crowder, I think, for PPR purposes, is going to still be a relevant flex wide receiver. Uh, Last game I want to talk about before we talk about the waiver wire, Cardinals and the Tennessee Titans. Look, with these guys, Kyler Murray comes in, 29 yards, four touchdowns, look great. All these so-called improvements made to the Titans secondary eh, look like the same old Titans defense to me. AJ Green looks washed. Looks absolutely washed. So Christian Kirk, he winds up with two touchdowns and five receptions and 70 yards. His value goes up. And Rondell Moore, who snap count-wise played the least, but four receptions, 68 yards, five targets. Whenever he was out there, Murray looked for him. And like I said, A.J. Green looked washed. I think it's sooner rather than later before the top three receivers are Hopkins, Kirk, and Moore, with A.J. Green getting left out pretty soon. Maybe it doesn't happen next week. It's going to happen pretty soon. He wasn't getting separation. He looked exactly like he did in Cincinnati. Hopkins, big game, big matchup, came through. You're good there. The only real question was what was going to go on with the running backs. It was about what we figured would be the case. Connor had 16 carries to Chase Edmonds' 12. So a little bit Connor's way with carries. He was the ball carrier in the red zone. Edmonds was much more efficient than Connor was, much more explosive, 5.3 yards per carry to 3.3. And Chase Edmonds was the better pass catcher. Connor wasn't targeted at all once. Edmonds had four catches for 43 yards and four targets. He will be very a very viable RB3, very viable flex play and over James Connor. And if Connor is, you know, because Kyler Murray ran a touchdown in, in this game off of read option, if he's not going to get very many opportunities in the red zone because they're in shotgun with Kyler Murray and they're throwing the football still primarily, if he doesn't get touchdowns, he's not going to have a ton of fantasy value. He's not going to be involved in the pass game at all. That's what that's what made this clear. So Edmonds, the guy, what we expected. I think there's an opportunity that at some point he may take over the most of the carries too if he continues to be the more efficient runner. We'll see if that happens. But for right now, Chase Edmonds, still a flex guy. James Conner, just kind of more of a handcuff than anything else. There's nothing to take out of the Titans side. Julio was out there. They didn't have a great game. A.J. Brown saved his day with a touchdown. You know, Derrick Henry didn't have a very good game. 17 carries, 58 yards. Did have four targets and three receptions. That's a little bit different. But again, this game got out of control early for Tennessee. The big thing moving forward will be Todd Downey. You have to figure out a way to help out that offensive line. You have to scheme that offensive line. You have to. You have to scheme that offensive line to help them out. Chandler Jones, one player, cannot get five sacks by himself and completely disrupt the game all by his lonesome, which is exactly what happened. It's exactly what happened. That can't happen. That can't be a thing. So very disappointing on that front for that have gone down in, in, in that matter. Just, just was. Just flat out disappointing. Okay, so that wraps it up for the games. Like I said, nothing else I'm taking away from that. Ryan Tannehill still had a decent day because he had the rushing touchdown. Better days are ahead for this Titans offense. They're too good to play like that. 
Like, so there's not a lot to take away other than Todd Downey. How do you respond moving forward? Let's get into our waiver wire. And we're going to kind of move through this a little bit quick just because we're running out of time, really kind of over time to begin, to begin with anyway. But uh, we do have quite a bit for a week one, believe it or not. Quite a bit for a week one. And as I'm pulling it up here, we broke this year. What we're doing a little bit differently. I'm going to talk about fab budget. I'm going to talk about whether guys are, are are worth it to use that priority on or not. But I'm also going to break it down by position. Usually, I would break it down, you know, who's most owned, the least owned, and, and things of that nature. I'm going to break it down by position this year. So I start off with the quarterbacks that are worth picking up. To me, it's only two. And this, again, remember, this is I should lead off with this because it's the first week of the year. These guys are, on average, less than 50% owned across all the major platforms. I take ESPN, Yahoo, NFL, I put them all together. And whoever is, on average, less than 50% owned is who I talk about. So, shockingly enough, Justin Fields was at 48%. I was very, very surprised by that, that he's actually just under that 50% threshold mark. After that game last night, not that we didn't know it was already going to happen, but it just gives us confirmation that Justin Fields is going to be the starting quarterback very, very soon. I don't know if it's going to be week two soon, but it's going to be very, very soon. And we got to see on display right off the bat in his little goal line package there, he's going to have the ability to run it in for a lot of touchdowns. He's going to have the ability to run around. And he's just going to be a fantasy asset. He just is. So Justin Fields is a top pickup for me at the quarterback position. Uh, if he's available and people are catching on to that, well, I would use probably about 10 to 15% of fab budget if you're looking for a quarterback. Because if you if you draft a quarterback late, like you're going to stream him, Justin Fields is a real chance for the guy you pick up and be a top-ten quarterback for you from the moment he starts on. You may not have to stream. So as a result of that, he's very much wor- worth a priority if you need a quarterback. He's worth a little bit of fab budget if you need a quarterback too. The other guy is James Winston. They got another nice matchup coming up here uh, this week. He's 26% owned. I don't know if he'll stay that efficient as he was in this game, but he was too efficient to ignore. Plain, plain and simple. He's too efficient to ignore. You have to play Jameis Winston without a doubt. With, without a doubt, you play Jameis Winston. So 26%, you don't have to use a priority on him. You don't have to use fat budget on him, but he's definitely a streaming quarterback. Just think about this. He did that without Michael Thomas, with a bunch of no-name receivers for the most part. And he put up five touchdowns on what should be a playoff team in the Green Bay Packers. And it's not a shabby secondary. It's not a great defense, but this isn't a horrible defense we're talking about. And he looked very efficient in that game. Looked very comfortable in the offense. Jameis Winston on his way to being a viable fantasy threat yet again, which he has been throughout most of his career. He's been that throughout most of his career. James White. 47% leads off my running backs. PPR monster. An absolute Absolute PPR monster. Latavius Murray, he's going to be 45%. Uh, Like I said, that game's going on now as we're recording this. We know Tyson Williams is going to lead the way. But for all the signs that they made with Le'Veon Bell and Devonta Freeman, they weren't active. Latavius Murray was active right away. Now, hes I don't expect him to be involved in week one, and he may not be that involved in week two. He's still got to get acclimated to the offense, get involved. But he fits what the Ravens do very, very, very well. And if Tyson Williams falls off or gets hurt, Tavius Murray is going to have some serious value. So I don't think you have to use a lot of fab. I don't think you have to use a priority on him if he's available in that league. But he's definitely worth a pickup. Carlos Hyde, 14% owned. 
I think you have to pick him up, especially with the James Robinson owner. It's clear he's the top handcuff there. If he were to continue getting the bulk of the carries, it would be interesting. If you start scoring touchdowns, it could be a flex play. I don't think it's going to continue to happen, frankly, in my opinion, but he is definitely a handcuff you need to pick up. Another handcuff you need to pick up is Kenneth Gainwell. He's only 3% owned. Miles Sanders, not a model of being able to stay healthy. I'm all about all about Kenneth Gainwell. He gets he's very similar to Miles Sanders in how he plays. Clearly well ahead of Boston Scott and everybody else in the back there. Three percent. I don't think you have to get too much. If you're the Miles Sanders owner, I think you need to own Kenneth Gainwell. I think you can get away without Fab. Because if you're not the Miles Sanders owner, I don't know how hard you're going after Kenneth Gainwell. And I don't think you need to use a priority on him too, but he needs to be on there. Mark Ingram again has to make the waiver wire list. Like I said. You just you can't ignore 26 carries. You just can't. So you have to take that into consideration here. Mark Ingram, lead running back for the Houston Texans. If you need running back depth, he is a pickup. I'm not spending fab on him. I'm not getting a priority. There's still a lot of heads in there. Like I said, this is not a game script that I expect to be very consistent for Houston actually being able to lead, but he has to be on there with 26 carries. You can't ignore that. Last running back is going to be the number one you know, priority pickup of the week without a doubt. It's Elijah Mitchell, but because so many things are up in the air. He looked great. He was explosive. He has a three down skill set. There's no doubt about that. They, they were, they were excited about him before this game. I just remind you guys, Trey Sermon was drafted ahead. Trey Sermon would played ahead all off season long. Kyle Shanahan is a menace when it comes to the running backs. So just because this was Elijah Mitchell's week does not mean it'll be Elijah Mitchell's week again next week. Raheem Moser will come back at some point this season. So before you guys start blowing half your fab budget on a player that has a lot of variables in his way to be the, you know, the league pickup guy to take you to the championship, which I think is what a lot of people are looking at Elijah Mitchell to be. And then very much might wind up being very inaccurate as far as that is concerned. Keep that in mind before you start blowing half your fab on them. I would actually only spend a quarter. That's the most I would spend 25%. That is the most I would spend on Elijah Mitchell. If you were the Raheem Moster owner or if you're the Trey Sermon owner and you don't want to get screwed because of the madness that is the 49ers backfield, you want to say, hey, I drafted it thinking I was going to have a piece to this. You don't want to get left out. Maybe I'd go to 30% on your fab. Maybe. But I'm not, if I'm anybody else, I'm not spending more than 25%. Sermon will be involved this year. We're not all idiots. And Mostert will be back at some point. Jeff Wilson, keep this in mind. Jeff Wilson's going to be back at some point. He was on the pup. He's out six weeks. He'll be back again this year, too. Elijah Mitchell is not just going to take over. So don't spend money on him like he's going to. That's the biggest piece of advice I can give you guys. What I, if I have a number one waiver priority, would I use it? Sure. 25% of my fab budget, would I use it? Sure. I'm not going any higher than that, though. I'm not going to be the guy who blows his entire fab on Elijah Mitchell. Think about all the variables. For the wide receivers, Tyrell Williams makes my list because of the snap count that he was seeing. But again, a guy who's more of a speculative ad and stash, not anything I'm spending a priority or fab budget on. Sammy Watkins, 13%. A little interested in him. Again, that game is going on. Marquise Brown, I think, has gotten involved. Sammy Watkins has been involved, knows that system. Rashad Bateman's still going to be out for a few more weeks. 
Again, not wasting a priority or fab budget on him, but if you're looking for wide receiver depth after this week, somebody who I'm going to have of note on the back of my mind. Christian Kirk probably would have him ahead of Sammy Watkins if I'm targeting guys. Again, A.J. Green looked like he was done, looked like he was washed up. I don't see any difference here with you know Christian Kirk, 3.6%. I expect him to be the second most targeted wide receiver on this team throughout the year. He looked pretty good. Obviously, he had the two touchdowns. You should be able to get him kind of cheap because I don't think there's going to be a lot of people targeting him. I wouldn't I wouldn't spend a priority on him. I don't think I would spend any fat budget on him on him either. I don't think you have to. Now, he had two touchdowns. So that's the only reason why he might be on people's radar. But a lot of people might be looking at this as a very crowded wide receiver room for the Arizona Cardinals too. So I would see if you can get away with it because the next guy, Tim Patrick, for at least the next four to six weeks anyway, is going to have similar value. He's only 1% owned. You can get him for free. No one's going to go after him too hard. You can get him for free, and he should be a pickup of yours. Trent Sherfield, he does need to be mentioned as a pickup. He did play as the second starting wide receiver on this team. He did catch a touchdown. Again, I'm not spending anything to go get him, but until we get this IU situation sorted out, he at least has to be on your radar as a sneaky pickup in deeper leagues. Adam Troutman, only 5% owned. Adam Troutman needs to be owned more than that. Adam Troutman is a sleeper tight end. I know the stat line wasn't gaudy. I know Juwan Thompson was the one who wound up with the two touchdowns, or Juwan Johnson, excuse me. But he played by far the most. He had the most targets on the team. This guy will be a sleeper. He will be a streamer for you throughout the week. If you have two tight ends on your team because you're thinking about flipping back back and forth, Adam Troutman someone who you should own right now. So that does it for the waiver wire. That does it for the show. It went a little bit longer than we expected to, but that's okay. Guys, we're going to be back at 11 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. on social media at Show and on the YouTube channel, the MDF Football Show. Please subscribe. But we'll be back. We'll be back on Thursday and Friday to give you guys the preview for the Thursday night game and the early Sunday games on Thursday. And of course, Friday, we'll give you the recap. We'll give you the recap of Thursday night and the late Sunday afternoon games, Sunday night and Monday night game. We'll be back on Saturday to give you our DFS contest. We're going to announce the winner on that on Wednesday when we open up next week's DFS contest. We do have a winner for that one who won a one free week of easy sports betting data and will be eligible for the September championship football giveaway. So make sure you tune in at nine 30 at belly of MDFF show and YouTube for that on Saturday night. Try to win you guys some money with our lock bets. And then we'll be back on Sunday night. We'll be able to go into more depth in the recaps. Like we like to do and really kind of get into the analysis of it. Make sure you guys are more well prepared. Again, we couldn't do it. That's why we had to do a bit of a rush show because usually what we'll do is we'll come back Monday night. We'll be back Tuesday morning like we are now just recapping the Sunday night, the Monday night game and going a little bit deeper into the waiver wire report too. So more of that will be coming for you guys, but this week will be a normal week. We'll have five shows for you this week and don't forget to check us out on the unhinged radio network. We'll be on that from seven to eight on Tuesday nights. 6 to 7.30 on Thursday and Friday, 12 to 1 on Sunday and 6 to 7.30 again on Monday. Go to unhingedsn.airtime.pro. Hey, guys, 
Take it easy. Have a wonderful night. We'll see you all real, real soon. See you on Thursday. Make sure you tune in at BellyUpMD. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary for were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Here at the Container Store, we believe you shouldn't be limited to just one happy place. Your home should be full of them. That's why we're giving you 30% off every custom alpha space. From closets and pantries to playrooms, offices, and garages, you can transform any area with alpha and save 30%. Here's another happy thought. Our design specialists will design your space for free. Get ready to discover your new happy place at the Container Store. Visit us in-store or online to get started with a free design.